Good morning. Wow, I sound powerful. It's the caffeine. Hey, it's good to see you, and we're so excited that you chose to worship with us. We want to welcome Mobile Campus and Foley Campus, and it's just amazing. School started in Mobile last week. It starts in Baldwin County this week, and all the parents said, yeah, I've never seen so much excitement from the parents. Yeah. Well, this weekend, we had a, a workshop for parenting, and our friends and guests, Chuck and Sherry Quinley, were with us. And they have parented for over 30 years, and they, uh, they've written books before, but they put a book together called Simple Parenting, and a lot of the principles in this book were used in this workshop. If you have children at home, teenagers, I encourage you to pick this up. They're in the Commons, in Mobile, and in Foley, and in Malvis. They're there. If you get them this weekend, they're $10. If you buy it on Amazon, it's like 15 with shipping and everything. But I promise you, as your pastor... This will help you in what you're doing. So I encourage you to do that. Well, we're going to move right on into the series, into the third part of Me and My House. And and Chuck is going to share with you a message uh, about Me and My House. So would you welcome Chuck and Sherry Quinley to our pulpit? Come on. Thank you. Good morning. And good morning, Mobile and Foley and all those watching online all over the world. I know we've got family and friends um, in Manila and also in Thailand and also in Myanmar watching right now because they've been sending me uh, messages. Um, And we just love you all. Um, Baycom is our home. Uh, We just feel right at home with you. Uh, we love your pastor and his wife. They've been dear friends of ours and their children for over 30 years. They've been with us in ministry for that long because when we went to Jamaica 30 years ago, they were there too. They came and visited us a few times, built, brought teams to work. And we've just loved this partnership that we've had with them all these years and especially the friendship. I love family. It's, it's the most important thing to me in this life. Um, and we always say, friends are family you choose, and you are our family. I feel it every time I walk through the doors. I feel it even when we're away, um, and we get little messages, and when we watch you online, you know, we'll stay up sometimes till 11.30, 1 o'clock in the morning so that we catch one of those streaming um, online services and worship together with you, and we thank you, team, for doing this for us and for all those Um, in other parts of the world. Um, The other night, Pastor Jerry said, had us turn and say, is your quiver full? And I've just been very grateful because my quiver keeps growing. We had a new granddaughter this year um, who lives just down the street from us with her brother. And and we just gained a son-in-law, son-in-love, three weeks ago. And we gained a daughter two weeks ago, another daughter two weeks ago. And you saw them on the video, uh, life truly is better together. And I'm so grateful that Nathan and Rebecca are here together with this family. And thank you for embracing them. Thank you for embracing us. We love you. God bless you. Yep, always great, great, great to be home. 
and for those of you who do get the Simple Parenting book, if you'll do us a big favor, we live in Thailand, so we can't go around America promoting the book. It just launched this week, and Baycom is the site of the launch, so we're really excited about it. But if you'd go on Amazon and leave a review and a rating, that would really help us to, to get the word out. Because family is the, you know, uh, I've lived long enough now to have accomplished some things, and all of us will, if we put our heart to it, we'll all have some achievements in life. But um, I've lived long enough to finish some of those things up that you worked so hard for 20 years to do, and already to be able to look back on them and, and just realize that every earthly endeavor when you add it all together, is about like that big, and your family is about this big. Uh, the older you get in life, you just look at your family and you realize the value of it. Nothing that you do in life is more important than to establish a godly family. And you know, to make a really great family, uh, like a dynasty kind of family, that last, it takes generations. It takes one godly generation passing it to the next one, and that generation taking this up and saying, yes, this is our value too, and you push it forward. And then what it does is it just propels your kids forward. There's a thing actually in a sociological study of Christianity that's called redemption and lift. And it basically means uh, you can try two different approaches. You can go into poverty-stricken areas, and you can pump in billions of dollars and have all these federal programs, and you'll have like a minuscule improvement. Or the gospel comes in, revival hits, people really do get saved. Dad quits drinking, strains up his life, puts his energy into his family. Mom pulls her focus back home too, and they raise godly kids. And these kids are blessed by God, and they go farther than their parents have ever gone. I mean, we, we live in some of the poorest countries in the world, and it's just, we just watch this thing play out in front of us. You reach these families, you reach these kids, and then you, you go back to that same neighborhood, that squatter's area full of squalor. You go back there 10 years later. It takes a little while. You go back there about 10 or 15 years later, and that family's not there anymore. And there was a song they used to sing when I was a little kid. It said, thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. And it's not just where we were spiritually. It's even where we were physically. That God has moved us, and we're doing better. We're blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing because God wants to bless the earth. He wants to bless families. And he built, the, he built humanity out of clusters of families. And he wants to bless us, but we have to be blessable. And somebody has to step up and say, I am going to take charge and we are going to raise a godly family. It's going to be different from the families of the earth. You know, we get to travel and we look down as, we, as you take off and every city in the world looks the same. You get up, and as soon as you get a little bit of altitude, you start to see these little boxes. And in every box, a family lives. And we just see them linked up together. And they'll have a little street in front of them and more family boxes. In every home, there are conversations. Every home, there's a dinner table. Every home, there are beds in there. Every home, there's a cluster of people trying to live out life as a family. That's why it's really important to have family weekend it reminds us of the, the centrality of family in our spiritual walk and in, in everything in life. If you lose your family, you've really lost so much in life. And so I want us today to look at um, Genesis chapter 6 and the story of a family. Most of the Bible is really stories. If you've never read the Bible, it's entertaining reading. 80% of it is just stories. 
And almost all the stories are the stories of families. In the beginning, it's the story of a couple's marriage, Adam and Eve, and something that happens in their, in their family, and then their family troubles that come after that. And then there's the story of Abraham's family, and then there, there's all these family stories. And so today's story is a, a story that most of us would be aware of, and it's a story of a man named Noah and the generation that Noah lived in. So if you've got a Bible, turn it to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. Verse 8. But Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully With God. Noah had three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their own ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. I want to talk to you about that this morning. Building an ark to save your family and save the world. Would you put your hand on your heart and will you pray this prayer out loud with me? Heavenly Father, I've come into your house to hear your word. Speak to me. Open my ears. So I can hear you and anoint your servant to speak for you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a story about the family of Noah. It's a story about the saving of a family. The setting is really important. Noah found himself surrounded by wickedness. The earth had become corrupt. It became corrupt, the scripture says, Because people gave themselves over to corruption. They used the great power that God has given all of us. He gives us the ability, unlike anything else in creation, we can imagine things that don't exist. And we can make these things come to pass using a thing called the will. We can aim ourselves into the future that doesn't even exist yet. And we can bring it into the present and make it really happen. It's an amazing ability. The animals follow instinct. They just do whatever their DNA tells them they have to do. But we we drive our life, and that's why we're accountable, and that's why they were accountable. God made man in his image. And this ability to have a will to do what you wish, to be lords of your own fate, these people had taken that great gift, and they had turned it toward evil, and they filled their mind with corruption. They filled their mind with uh, lust. They filled their mind with violence. And, and, and it was interesting to me that, that violence was a characteristic 
of that age. It, it, it led them to it. And I watch, you know, uh, today's age, and we've got a billion-dollar industry that creates entertainment games where you kill people and you sit, young men around the world, sit for hours and just kill people over and over and over, kill hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. It's a sport. It's an entertainment for us. The earth has become full of violence. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the earth today is full of violence. And the scripture says nations will become internally divided and groups within the nation will rend the fabric of their own people. And nations will invade the territory of other nations to take what is theirs and to pull it away. And that human, uh, humankind will become like a restless ocean in a storm, just waves of people rising up and moving so much energy, so much anger, so much hatred, so much hostility, unyielding pride as we fight against each other and refuse to be reasonable. And God looked at the earth and he just said, ah, I regret that I even made it. I regret that I even made these people. I am going to destroy all of it. But there was this one guy. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that God just chose a man who was as bad as anybody else and decided by grace to save one. It isn't what the scripture says. There's a reason Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, the scripture describes him in three ways. It says, first of all, Noah was right in his heart. Noah was righteous. What that means is that Noah had chosen to think the way God thinks about things. You see, humans are accountable around the world, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, or a Hindu, or an atheist. Your heart tells you right from wrong. Everybody knows. There is an echo, the stamp of being made in God's image is so deep inside of us that everyone on this planet knows right from wrong. We know when we're being evil. We know what is, what is bad and we know what is good. And the people of Noah's age had just deafened their ear to the voice of God speaking to them. And they had called uh, evil things good things. And they had mocked good things and pulled them down. And Noah found himself surrounded by these people and they had used their mental energy and they used uh, that, that beacon in their heart. They just denied it and they ignored it. But Noah listened to it. Noah came from a family line that walked with God. Noah came from a people who knew the Lord and they had passed that on to him. And it was in Noah's heart to tune his inside to God's frequency. And if if God said it's bad, it's bad. You know, spiritual maturity is simply this, determining to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Like quit arguing with God and agree with God and take his value system into your heart and say, I will live by this. I don't need anybody to help me figure it out. It's in my own heart. And, and I've seen this play out. I think I even told a story here before. Uh, we've known of people who have been saved who never went to church after that. They weren't allowed. They were in communist China. Weren't allowed to go to church. Were not allowed to read a Bible, like penalty of death because of the situation they were in. And a friend of ours who led this 
governor's wife to the Lord, met her a year later when they were allowed to speak again. And as she spoke to this lady, and as she would share, trying to catch up on her discipleship, you know, and it's like, and as she would talk to her, all that lady's values had gone from atheistic, communistic, materialistic, this world only, power plays, all her values had shifted. And she was like perfectly lined up as though she had been through five years of of careful Bible study and sat under a pastor and she hadn't been to church once, hadn't read one verse of the Bible. And my friend walked away and she said, you know, it really drove home to me that scripture in the epistles that says, you do not need a human teacher. The Holy Spirit himself will teach you. Noah listened to the Holy Spirit. It says, secondly, that his lifestyle was an example in his generation. He was faultless in his generation. It doesn't mean that no one found fault in him. People don't like people, and everybody's got lots to say about each other. But when you examine Noah's life and the life of the people around him, everybody noticed that Noah lived according to a higher and different and more pure set of values. He made his business decisions. He did his bargaining with people. When he lived his real life out with everybody else, he lived it according to that inner guidance that was in his heart. And the third thing the scripture says is that Noah faithfully walked with God. He, he kept up with God. He kept going where God was going. And when God saw those three characteristics in Noah's life, he says, you cannot be punished along with these other people. It's really remarkable because Noah had no Bible. There wasn't a Bible for thousands of years after this. He had no Bible. He had no pastor. He had no brothers and sisters in the Lord. He had no church to go to. There was no fellowship of believers. There wasn't one other human relationship that was following God. Noah was alone turning around looking for one other person listening to God. There was nobody except Noah. And God noticed that, like a bright light in this dark planet. And God says, for you alone, I will save the earth. And he speaks to Noah, and he actually has to give him a new word because this, this word, we don't have, he didn't have this word in his vocabulary. Build an ark. He doesn't say build a boat. Noah knew the word for boat. Boats have lots of purposes. Ark is a special word. It's used in Moses when he was a baby, and it's used for Noah. And it's, a, it's, the, it's the capsule that saves your life. When you're placed, if you're the living and you are placed in, a, in a, a deluge of water, this is the capsule that will save your life, almost like a spaceship, you know? And he gives him this special word, ark. We don't use it, you know? That's what it means. It's just for that special calling. It says, now, Moses' parents made a little ark to put Moses in when Pharaoh was out to kill all the babies, and they put him out in the Nile River. And so God speaks to to Noah, and he says, build an ark. What's the ark supposed to do? The ark does two things. First of all, the ark insulates you from the moral filth of everything around you. The ark is a ring fence that keeps their influence away from you. It, it separates you from these people. I'm in media work now in the Lord, 
And uh, from time to time, I end up in a media-producing city like, say, Hollywood. And I, I'm in a meeting with Christians there who are part of the industry. And it's not uncommon at all for me to talk to people who work in media full-time in the industry who say to me, we do not have television in our home. And I think, I mean, this isn't a 1950s Pentecostal holiness, you know, decision. Although, you know, those guys, history has proven they weren't necessarily off track. And these guys say, why would I hook a sewer pipe to the front window of my house and just open it up and let the world pump in? Because they work with the people that make these things. They say, look in children's cartoons. They've got all these sexual innuendo things in there. There's even pornographic images that just flip through main main kids' cartoons that they're, they're there watching. It's so quick. It's like, what devil would make children's programming and think up this stuff and desensitize us and, and try to twist our values? There is a, a thinking, there is an intent behind what is, appears to us to be entertainment. It's not entertainment. It's mind-altering material, and it just pumps in and pumps in. And I really encourage you to unplug your family as much as possible unplug your family because we have to insulate ourselves or it gets into our minds just like it's in their mind. And scripture says, as a man thinks, so is he. And so when you start thinking the way the people of the world think, you'll start to make your choices the way they make their choice. And you also will start thinking that evil things are maybe not so bad after all. And good things are just being uptight. And all of a sudden your values are being affected. And God says, build an ark. Sanctify your home, sanctify your own mind, cleanse yourself, because the ark is also your salvation when judgment comes upon the earth. Judgment was coming to the people of the day of Noah. And I hope you're very clear as you read your Bible to to realize judgment is coming one day on this world once again, not a temporary judgment that the flood was horrible as it was, but a permanent judgment. And the scripture outlines the circumstances of the last days, the circumstances of this judgment. It says in the last days, the very planet will start to heave like a woman in birth pains. We're going to have volcanic eruption. We're going to have earthquakes all over the place. We're going to have the nations roaring like the seas. We're going to have the violence keeping on. We're going to have this anti-God hatreds. People shake their fists toward heaven. And if they speak the name of God, it's only to say, why God? And what kind of God lets people suffer? And just twist and turn everything out. It's so clear in scripture. It's coming. Judgment is coming. And when God spoke to Noah, I mean, he didn't give Noah the ark. He didn't say, and I provided an ark for you. Run to the ark. He said, you build an ark. And if Noah didn't build the ark, Noah would be destroyed with the rest of them. Build an ark. God sent me here today to tell you, build an ark. Build an ark for your family in these last days. Purify your own house. Draw a circle around your house. Separate yourselves from the ways of this world. And let's cleanse our minds. Let's cleanse our hands cleanse our lips, cleanse our ways, and line ourselves up so that when that crashing thing comes upon the earth, we, like Noah, are inside the ark with our household, safe, safe. The word household is really beautiful. It doesn't mean you're a house. 
And it doesn't necessarily just mean your, your wife and husband and children. It's everybody who is woven into the fabric of your family. We have six kids, and it's very common on weekends when the kids were living at home to have a dozen people uh, all weekend. They'd bring their friends home from school on Friday, and they wouldn't go back until Monday morning. And uh, they'd be there around the table. We have a round table because there's always room for one more at a round table. And uh, we just learned to love that. And those kids, they're our kids. They're in our family too. And the influence that we, ha- we try to exert over our own children, uh, it's over those other kids too. And they come to us as mom and dad. And you can have this kind of influence. And our kids have had an influence over so many of the young people their age. And they pull them all in. That's our household. I want our household to be right with God. I want our household to come, under his, to come under his covering in this time that goes forward. And, and so Noah obeys. And, but see, here's the thing. Noah can't build this ark by himself. I mean, Noah had to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But, you know, if, if you think you're leading, but no one's following you, you're really just going for a walk. <laughs> it's not the same thing as leading. And Noah has made a decision. We will follow the Lord. And it takes his sons to say, you're right, Dad, we're with you on this. How many of you are here and you are 20 years old or less? Would you raise your hand? I need to talk to you. You know, certain parts of this building are younger than other parts of this building. They kind of sit in pockets. One of the most exhausting things for a parent is to determine in your heart that you're going to set a moral standard for your family and then to have your children pull against it as hard as they can in the other way. And you know that standard is right. You know it's right. It's just that you're giving your parents a hard time. So you want your independence, and they say, no, you shouldn't. And you go, and you just keep pulling against it. You can't build an ark like that. I mean, the ark was a big job. If you've seen the size of this thing, somebody actually built one of these in Holland. If you ever go there, it's massive. It's like a football field. This is a family's job, and it's Noah and his sons. It took them 100 years to do it. It was hard work. They got mocked from people on the outside, and they had to get themselves up for this every single day to get up tomorrow and build the ark again and get up the next day because it's like a project you can never finish. It just goes on and on and on, and things work against you. And that's what it's like to try to build a godly family. It takes everybody pulling together to build a godly family. Your parents need you to buy in to the idea of an ark and that your lives will be different. They know you want to be independent. They want you to be independent. They want you to stand up like a grown-up. They want you to pull your own way. They want you to have your own car and your own job and your own life and one day your own family. But it all, it's integrated. You don't get that by jerking yourself away from it. You, you stay in the, in the vine and the vine grows to you and then it becomes your family one day. But you got to work with it and you got to work with your parents. They need that because you'll exhaust your parents. I've seen families that the first couple of kids turn out so well and then the last couple of kids don't turn out so well. And I, I remember speaking to somebody in a family and I said, you know, this set, they've gone so far and they've, they've had such balanced lives. And this set, they got drug problems, and all kinds of problems. What happened? And they said, parental laziness. Mom and dad just wore out about halfway through and just kind of, oh, whatever you want to do, live your life, but you'll pay for it, you know, if you don't live right. But the first kids got this diligence in there. 
You know, don't wear your parents out. Work with them. They need that. Amen, Mom and Dad? You need that help. If your kids will cooperate with you, man, families just, the lights go on in the house. Now, I, I, I wasn't the best kid. You know, I really was not a good teenager. And, but finally, a light went on in my head. I wish it had happened earlier. But I was 17, still not serving God. But finally, I saw a calendar in front of me. And I realized I'm only going to be in this house one more year. Why am I fighting my mom and dad every day, you know? Why don't I just cooperate with them? Why don't we just have family and have great memories, and then I can go on and be however I want? You know what was funny? I did that, and the attention went down in the house immediately. I quit wrestling over everything, and I moved out on my own, and I said, all right, now I'm my own man. I can do 18 years old. Left house, like, almost the day I turned 18. I'm my own man. don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do anything. I think I want to serve God. <laughs> you know? And the Lord just starts speaking to me. He's like, okay, now you don't have to because your dad's not making you. But how about you? But you know, that's a beautiful thing about a, a family legacy. Scripture says if you'll train a child, and it doesn't mean take him to church. It means you press that into them so hard, it leaves a permanent mark. You set magnetic north in their heart. If you train a child the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And my heart swung back, and I remember having these big talks with God. It went on for six months, and finally I yielded my heart. It took six months of being my own man, but then it was my own faith. It was my own walk with God. Now, Noah's story, you know, we got the dramatic story where Noah goes into the ark, and it closes, and the world gets destroyed, and, and, then, and then there's this extra chapter, and I love the extra chapters in the Bible. They're always awkward like David and Bathsheba. He's like, David and Goliath, David conquering the Philistines, David and Bathsheba. And it's like, ah, don't you want to edit that out? <laughs> but it's really important because life is messy and people are complicated. And the story of Noah has this little boxcar ending. And Noah, who apparently wasn't a farmer, he's been through so much, starts farming now. He's got to rebuild the earth. And Noah starts growing grapevines, and Noah starts making wine. And Noah, and I don't know if this is the first time he made wine or not, but Noah just gets rip-roaring drunk on his own wine. He passes out on the floor of his house, and, uh, and his kids have a different response. One of them mocks him and is, like, ashamed of his dad and disrespects his dad, and then the other two sons are very respectful of their dad, and they just walk in with a blanket because, you know, he's a naked Noah laying on the floor. And so they just cover him up with a blanket. And Noah wakes up, and he's ashamed of himself. He realizes what he's done, you know, and his embarrassment, and, hey, how'd I get this blanket on me? And then he hears his story, you know. I think Noah's story is there to let us know no family is perfect. Families are the human creation of sinful people. We're trying to build a godly family. And if you're looking for a perfect family and if you're, if you're inspecting your family to see if you were treated perfectly, you know, we talk a lot about the pain that parents cause children. I don't think we talk nearly enough about the pain that children cause parents. Uh, I mean, there's pain. Kids can hurt their parents. It's serious pain. Families are messed up. But that's where the gospel comes. And the gospel comes to us as families. And it says, you just got to keep walking. And God brings us these two words in the gospel. The first word is repent. Repent means when you mess up, own up to it. You say, I 
am wrong. Forgive me. I'm sorry. You just, just those words. And there's some families, even some families here right now, and you've needed to say that. Somebody in your family has needed to say this maybe for a year, maybe years, and in pride and whatever, we hold that thing back and it just sits there waiting to be spoken, needing to be spoken. And repentance says, speak it out. Say those words. I am sorry. I'm wrong. Would you forgive me? And then we need to forgive each other in families. Noah's two sons forgave their dad. It was like, ah, dad's been through a lot. If dad needs a drink after building the ark for 100 years and the whole world got killed, <laughs> he's, entitled, he's entitled to make some wine. You know, they just, they overlooked. It's like, ah, you know, it's okay, dad. They're going to forgive their father for his faults. They're going to forgive him for his mistakes. And then to look at each other and say, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me? I want to build a godly family. I want to build an ark. And I know I'm not a perfect example, and I say that to my own kids. I know I'm not a perfect example, but I'm trying, you know? So if I'm wrong, I, want to, I don't want to say if I've been wrong, because I have been wrong. Quit using the word if in your apologies. If you've got the guts to make an apology, make a real apology. Um, actually, let's make an apology. Let's all stand up. This will be the last thing we do. I want you to gather real quick. Uh, we're short on time, but would you find your family? If they're in this room, would you make a circle? If you've got to use the aisle, feel free. Use the aisles. There's a little bit of space in the back. Find your family. Get in a circle. Sherry, will you come up here? Okay, I want you to join with your family, and I want you to look each other in the eye, and I want it to start with the men. I want you to look at your wife and look at your kids, and I want you to say... I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And I want you to say back, I forgive you. And now, Mom, would you say the same words? Look around the circle. Don't look at me, look at each other. Moms, I was wrong. I apologize. Kids, would you apologize to your parents? I'm sorry. Tell them, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. This will be so healing if you'll say it from your heart. Nervous. <laughs> okay, now I want us to join in prayers, families. God, in the name of Jesus, we build an ark today. And we go into it as a family. That we're going to be different from the families of this world. We're going to live to a higher standard we're going to be people who, by example, even if we're not perfect in every way, we're going to learn to repent. We're going to learn to be humble with each other, to apologize often, and to forgive freely, and to keep on walking. Because this is a hundred-year journey to build this ark. It's going to take a whole generation or two 
and we are going to put our backs to this task. God, we know you're with us. We don't even ask you to be with us because you called Noah to build an ark and no human can build an ark. It's too big a job. He didn't have machinery. You helped him do it and you will help us live a godly life in a wicked age. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And we dedicate our families, we dedicate ourselves one more time to serve you to be an example of what godliness is in an evil age, to be humble people, be loving people, give each other a break and to work with each other, to build a family that lasts until Jesus comes and takes us away for the great wrath that descends upon this planet. Give us a strength to fulfill our commitment today in Jesus' name. Hey, just stay right where you are. We're going to dismiss from where you are. You don't have to get back in your seat. Did you enjoy the word today? Yeah. This is a timely word for our world. I encourage you to listen to it again. I encourage you to send it to a friend. Let them listen to it. But there's two things I want you to do before we leave. We're going to leave in just one minute. If your family's not here and you need to say that to them, I encourage you to see them, call them, email them. In the pastoring, I see so many things that are horrible and fall apart, bad decisions, bad behavior. But the thing that breaks my heart the most is when I have people say about their family, we haven't spoken in years. We haven't spoken in months. You understand the family is what God works through on this earth, and it needs to be strong and not splintered. So I encourage you to take that extra step to make that call to go see that family member and just say exactly what you've already said in that circle. The last thing is this. If you're here, any of the the campuses, if you're here, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, today is not a better day for you to do that. When we dismiss, people will walk to the front that are leaders to pray with you. And if you need prayer for your family, for your health, your finances, anything, we're here and we want to pray for you. So we're going to dismiss, and when we do, you just make your way to the front. Everybody good with that? And now I want you to turn to a couple people that you've asked to forgive you and say, will you take me to lunch? (laughs) God bless you.